0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Carney E. Free. Here's Pastor Adrian Boykin. So God is holy, and in His holiness, He cannot look at sin. And indeed He hates sin? He He won't look at it. And yet, God is love, and so He provides a way for us to be with Him through Christ on the cross. And we're going to hold on to these two beautiful statements today. God is love, and God is faithful. And you can count on that. Now it's possible that I say that as I begin today's message, and it does nothing for you. What I hope it would do is kind of give a flutter to your heart, or maybe make your spine tingle, the hair on the back of your neck stand up, that God is loving to me, that God is faithful to me. But it's possible it does nothing for you at all. And that's not because you're hard hearted. You might be, but I'm not saying that. Okay, it's not because of that. Like, I think the primary reason that the statement, God is love, doesn't do what it should do for us is because love has got to be the most overused word in our culture today. We talk about love all the time, and we talk about it in such a vacuous way, we're not even sure what it means. It's used all the time by contemporary culture. And it's kind of lost its meaning. Like we hear about people falling deep into love with one another in a very short time. And then we also hear about people falling out of love with each other in a very short time. And we have these songs on our playlists, on your phone or however you listen to music, from whatever source you get your music, my guess is they're full of love songs, right? Like Across every generation, whether it be Beyonce or the Backstreet Boys or Beatles, they all are always singing about love, right? And they make it seem so easy. In my humble opinion, though, there was one songwriter and artist who best captured what love is when he wrote, love is never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. Never gonna make you cry, never gonna say goodbye, never gonna tell a lie and hurt you. (laughs) I mean, for real, we use the word love to describe our favorite sports teams and my deep love for fried chicken and my deep love for my wife. Hopefully we don't love fried chicken the same way we love our wives. So this morning we want to look at a number of different passages, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that speak about God's love and that hopefully will reframe for us what love is really about, at least from a scriptural perspective. And then we're going to look at a couple passages that speak about God's faithfulness. And while while this this word love is overused in our culture today, which makes it difficult to understand, I would say this word faithfulness is underappreciated in our culture today. Because it's so rare in our culture today, it's hard for us to understand what God's faithfulness is about. And so we're gonna look at a bunch of different passages and I'm gonna ask you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 and we're gonna dig into that one just a little bit more toward the end of the message today. But Hebrews 11, you can turn there right now either in your app or in your Bible. But what I wanna do here today is hopefully reframe and recapture a little bit more of what we mean when we say God is love and God is faithful. So Exodus 34 goes like this. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining his love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not Leave the guilty unpunished. Again, we're in this series, God's Name, where we're seeking to understand more of the name of God and the basic attributes of God. And today, as we unpack that passage, we continue to unpack that passage as we've been doing over these past several weeks, we want to just zero in on this simple phrase, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining his love to thousands. Now the Hebrew word for love here which is stated two times is hesed. Hesed. And hesed is stated some 200 times across the Old Testament. So much for this idea that the New Testament God is a God of love and the Old Testament God is a God of justice. Now they're one and the same. The New Testament God and the Old Testament God are a God of love and justice. And you see plenty of love And plenty of justice in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. So we see this word hesed describing God's love over 200 times. As it's stated here in Exodus 34, the NIV translates it as love. The NASB version translates it as loving kindness. The ESV translates it as steadfast love. And the NLT calls it unfailing love. Why all these differences? There's all these little nuances in the translation of Hesed because there is no one perfect English word to capture all that is found in this word, Hesed. It's a multifaceted word that describes for us God's love for us. God's love, what is meant? Well, when it says in the scriptures, God is love. There's at least two major facets that I want to emphasize right now that speak of this word hesed. One is God's affection, and the other one is God's commitment. Follow me here. Hesed love speaks first to God's affection for you. Okay, this is the idea of loving kindness that we saw, I believe, in the NASB translation. God has loving kindness to you. He's warm-hearted. He holds you in high regard. He thinks well of you. He created you. He redeems you through Jesus Christ if you put your faith in him. Not only does he love you, but also he likes you. Do you believe that? Okay, that's the affection of God coming from this word hesed. Generosity of spirit from God to you. How good is that? Now the other part of that is commitment. It doesn't stop with affection. Real love is about commitment, right? And God's love is all about commitment. So this steadfast loyalty, this unfailing love of God, is what you have when you think of commitment. Think here about an elderly man who is caring for his wife who has Alzheimer's. And day after day, he goes to care for her, to hold her hand tenderly, Blessing her and loving her, holding her hand, even though she has forgotten his name. That's Hesed love. Okay, that gets at the point of Hesed love. Or you think of a mother who is steadfast in her love for her son who has a global disability, and that son cannot express himself maybe the way other kids can. So he can't express his love to his mom the way perhaps other kids can. But this mother is resolved, she will not allow any obstacle to get in the way of that boy's future success because she has Hesed love for him. Now, throughout the Bible, Hesed love is frequently spoken of as a covenant. And this is what God does for us. He makes a promise to us. In his covenant love, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. That because of the cross of Christ, he loves us forevermore. He forgives us forevermore. He is always for us. Okay, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you've genuinely gone to him and said, I am a sinner, in need of your forgiveness. I ask that you would be Lord over my life and I submit to you in all things that you would be Lord over my life and the result of that is the love of God pours down over your life and he won't quit. It's steadfast. It's covenant loyalty. This is what God does. We come to him with empty hands, able to provide nothing to him. He fills us with love of Christ from the cross. He graciously forgives us even when we fail. Now again, in um, modern culture, if you want to emphasize something, what do you do? You put it in all caps. Or you put emojis around it, right? But in ancient culture and throughout the Bible, if you want to emphasize something, what you do is you repeat it. And so God pronounces His name, and he repeats His name. He says, "Yahweh, Yahweh, this is who I am. I am that I am. I am the Creator. I am the only God. I am the source of all being. I am infinite. I am the one true God, I am that I am. All that I am, I always will be." He says His name two times, Yahweh, Yahweh." And so also, he describes His character with this word Hesed, two times. He says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and in case you didn't get it the first time, maintaining love. Abounding in love and faithfulness and maintaining love to thousands. Now you might say, okay, God loves thousands of people, no big deal, he's God. Of course he loves thousands of people. But the context there is actually thousands of generations, and as you look at God's hesed love in other places in the Old Testament, it likewise speaks of God's love forever. A thousand generations, the idea is God is loving forever. This is why the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, God's hesed love is so often described in these vast, almost immeasurable terms. Look at Psalm 13.5, for example. It says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. What's the word? What's the descriptor? Unfailing. Unfailing love. Or how about this one? Psalm 57.10. For great is your hesed, great is your love, reaching to the heavens. I couldn't reach up to your love, O God. It reaches to the heavens. I think the Apostle Paul is getting to this same idea, the vast, almost incomprehensible love of God when he prays this prayer over his church in Ephesus, in Ephesus, Greece. From Ephesians chapter 3, it goes like this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that we'd be established deep in God's love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how high and how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You may be filled to the fullness of the love of God. All the fullness of the measure of God would fill you up because you begin to grasp that which you cannot fully grasp, the infinite love of God. Do you hear what he's saying? Like he's trying to hold on to, he's trying to grasp, but he can't quite get it. But he says, I I really hope, and I really, really pray, and this is my prayer for you, this is what I pray for our church on a regular basis, that we would be rooted and established in God's love, and that we would know how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God for us, and that would motivate us to be difference makers wherever we go. God's love is indescribable. I love the way Pastor Rick Warren said it. He said, the love of God is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but never its end. And this is what God wants us to understand. This affection, this commitment, this generosity of spirit to us, this indescribable love is actually directed to you and me. Here's the takeaway if you're taking notes today. God is love, and his love is directed at you. And yet his love is like a waterfall coming down from the cross. Unstoppable is God's love as it's directed at us. Look again here at verse 6. He is abounding in chesed love and in faithfulness. The word faithfulness is emet. Emet. Now, hesed love is in part an emotional word. It speaks of God's affection and also his steadfast character to us. His never-ending love that is loyal to us. But also that affection. That's not true of emet. Emet is a faith based truth word. Faithfulness as in truthfulness, as in trustworthy. God is trustworthy. It's a statement of truth. In fact, emet is the same word from which we get amen. So did you know that amen does not mean the prayer is over? Amen. That was a long prayer Adrian prayed. Amen. So glad it's over. That's not what it means. What amen means is So be it. Oh yeah, I want that to be true. Yes, I agree. There is a statement of truth. May it be so. This is why when I'm preaching from the authority, not of my opinions, but of the word of God, and something resonates in your soul, and you say, oh yeah, that's true, and maybe you say underneath your breath, amen. Or maybe you even say out loud, amen. This is why I really like it. Because you're saying, I agree with the word of God. To say that God is faithful, to sing about God's faithfulness, is to believe that he is trustworthy, that he is totally reliable. Now again, this is really hard for us to understand because just as love is overused in our culture, faithfulness, hear me now, is rarely seen anymore in our culture, right? It's rarely seen in our culture anymore. Like, I read these old stories of our ancestors from World War II, and how like, husbands were across the Atlantic for three or four years at a time, and how would they stay in touch with their wives? They'd write letters to each other. And they maintained their marriage that way. Across three or four years at a time, this faithfulness between husband and wife Like, that just kind of blows the mind today, doesn't it? Or, like, my grandparents used to buy Maytag um, laundry machines. And they would last for, like, 30 years. Have you bought one lately? Like, I buy them in the last, like, a $1,000 and it might last three or four years. What's up with that? It's just not faithful anymore. And we have thousands of superficial social media friends And I think the result of that is we get used to a lack of faithfulness. We get used to kind of a fickleness in our relationships and just kind of what we expect in the world. It wasn't always this way. Like it really was not that long ago that people would stay on the job for more than six or nine months. How about this? It wasn't that long ago, I can remember that people might disagree with something that the church did, but they said, you know what? My church preaches the Bible, and my my church preaches the authority of Jesus Christ over all of life, preaches the cross, preaches salvation by grace through faith, and so I'm sticking with my church. Okay? That's faithfulness. It wasn't that long ago that people could have different opinions related to political candidates. Like you might have a sister who likes a different candidate than you, but you still love your sister and you're still happy to have fellowship with your sister. That's how it used to be, my friends. And for we who are united by Jesus Christ, that's how it still can be. Now, unfortunately, we tend today to be a little bit more fickle than our ancestors were, and I struggle with this as well. I have to fight against it too. But the simple fact is we have traded out faithfulness for fickleness, and oftentimes it's just made us more lonely. Enter in the character of Yahweh. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, does he not speak and then act? does he promise and then not fulfill this is the nature of our God he promises and then he fulfills he speaks and then he acts this is our God he can't not be faithful our God cannot not be faithful it's impossible for him to not be faithful and even so I'm guessing that there's some in this room today who struggle at times with this statement, God is faithful, and maybe you struggle with it for a different reason. You struggle with it because you've experienced the pain of life. I'm just going to name the elephant in the room that I struggle with too, and I have to wrestle with this as well. The simple fact is, it's easy to speak about the faithfulness of God when the test comes back negative. It's easy to speak about the faithfulness of God when you get the job promotion that you've been working for. But it's not as easy to speak about the faithfulness of God when the test comes back positive. Or you don't get the promotion that you've been working so hard for. Or you have another miscarriage. Or you have some illness that turns into a chronic illness. What does the faithfulness of God mean in those kinds of situations? As we all wrestle with those things, I certainly have and I know you have as well. And we need to grapple with these questions because we all have stories we know that do not end with rainbows and smiles. As I've wrestled through those kinds of questions in my own life and with many of you and other people in my family over the years who have experienced those kinds of things and I've experienced those kinds of things as well, I've gone back to this passage in Hebrews 11 again and again. Hebrews 11 is a a critical chapter in the entire Bible. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame of Faith, and I would really strongly encourage you to read it in full. It speaks so beautifully to the faithfulness of God and faithful examples of heroes of faith that stuck with God through the ups and downs of life. And what it does is it goes through all these different stories, and you can look up those stories in the Old Testament. It can be a great, like, month-long Bible study, even, to look at the faithfulness of God through people like Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and Samuel, and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And it goes through each of those kinds of people in Hebrews 11. But it doesn't stop there. Each of those stories seem to be like the victory stories. I'm so grateful for these other stories that it refers to in Hebrews 11, starting at verse 35, and that's where I'll pick it up. So you keep that in mind, what I just said, all these stories of victory. Then verse 35, there were others who were tortured, Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. They refused to go back on their faith in Jesus in the moment of temptation, in the moment of trial, because they believed, since Jesus rose from the dead, so also I will rise from the dead. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. This is a description of the early church. They were put to death by stoning They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And sometimes we think that we're persecuted. This was the life of the early church. These were all commended for their faith. Yet None of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So get this, like these people were faithful too. Just like David and Rahab and Samuel and all those others. These people were faithful too. And they served a faithful God as well. So what about their situation with all of that suffering? How can that be faithful on God's part? Well, you gotta look at verse 39 again. And I'd encourage you to underline this if you have your Bible out right now. This is a critical verse. Verse 39, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. Now what's that? That's speaking of heaven. Okay, so they didn't get the victory in this world they got the victory in the next world. What it's speaking of there is the reality that we've been talking about off and on over the past many months, that we are citizens of another kingdom. We live in the kingdom of God right now where we get to taste a bit of the honey that God promises for us for eternity. But we don't get to taste all of it, do we? And it's on the other side that these guys here experienced what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has ever even conceived, how beautiful and glorious it is a place without mourning or crying or pain anymore, a, pre- a place where all of God's faithful people are victorious because of the faithfulness of God. Amen. And that's what's waiting for us. And so you say, Is God faithful when my story is not ending in rainbows and smiles? Yes. That is what I'm saying. He is faithful. But he's faithful in a different way than sometimes we want him to be because his faithfulness includes the vantage point of eternity. We think of faithfulness as only relating to the little dot of our lives, whereas God has the vantage point of the entire line of eternity in order to fulfill his faithful promises. Here's what faithfulness really means. It means that God is absolutely trustworthy, and we can trust him when life seems to be falling apart. I put it this way on your outline, God is faithful, and you can trust him when life is falling apart. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and because he lives, he said, so also we who trust in him shall also live forevermore. And the victory may not be ours here on this earth, but it will be ours for all eternity. And friends, what happens when you bring these two beautiful biblical words together, hesed and Emmet, as is stated here in, in Exodus 34, when you bring them together, you get this glorious portrait of God. And maybe your mental image of God can begin to be reformed by this image that says God is affectionate and committed and steadfast in his love for you. And he's completely trustworthy to fulfill his promises even when it feels like things are falling apart. Because the truth is, he hasn't promised us a bed of roses. I wish he did, but that's not what he promises. He promises his presence in the midst of the thorns. He doesn't promise that you can do everything. He promises you can get through everything through Christ who strengthens you. He doesn't promise temporal healing. Again, I wish he did. He doesn't promise that. Settle that. Settle it in your mind. He doesn't promise temporal healing. Sometimes he gives it. What he promises is eternal healing. He promises us eternal healing in heaven. Please write this down, this next line. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God is a core message of the entire Bible. I I look for these hooks to hold on to that kind of provide the macro message of the entire Bible, and this is one of those hooks that you hold on to to understand the big picture macro message of the entire Bible. The steadfast love and unwavering commitment of God is a core message of the Old and the New Testament. It's all over the place. You gotta understand, God doesn't love us because of the good things that we do. He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is, right? It's not because of who we are, it's because of who he is. He's not faithful to us because we're faithful. He's faithful to us because he cannot be unfaithful. It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to not be trustworthy. When we succeed, God says, I love you. And when we fail, God says, I love you. When we are faith-filled, God says, I'm faithful. And when we are doubting, God says, I'm still faithful. Okay? You gotta hold on to these two. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God is love. And God is faithful when life is comfortable, and I pray you believe God is faithful when life is really uncomfortable. He's trustworthy to all of his promises when it seems like things are falling apart. Say it with me. God is love. God is faithful. And you can count on it. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Adrian Boykin from Carney E. Free. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.